Welcome to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Richard Clark. He is a cybersecurity expert and writer. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter. Typewriter is your on-demand editor, and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus. Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Richard Clark, uh, a veteran, 30 years of national security and over a decade in the White House. Uh, he worked under the uh, Bush and, and uh, Clinton administrations, and he's now CEO of a cybersecurity consulting firm. And today, uh, Richard, welcome to the show. We're going to talk about your brand new book. You've already written, you've already written uh, seven of these, uh, but this is your latest. It's called Warnings. Welcome to the show. It's good to be with you. Yeah, this is yeah. this is book number eight. Half of them have been fiction. Uh, half of them have been nonfiction. Of course, if you ask some people, they've all been fiction. <laughs> <laughs> how does that How does that work for you as a, as a writer? I'm always curious how to uh, how you how you swap back and forth between the uh, the fiction and the nonfiction. Well, I think fiction is uh, in some ways easier uh, because you can make stuff up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they don't let you make stuff up in the nonfiction. Uh, no, you, you like to have citations and footnotes. And, uh, okay. I've read, a, I've read a few nonfiction books that, that could have been feasibly fiction after after the fact. So uh, hopefully that's not that's never the case here. So this new book, Warnings, it's uh, Finding Cassandras to Stop Catastrophes. Why don't you uh, run down what this is about? Ideally, where, as, again, as Technotopia, the, uh, the mission here is to talk about how technology is going to get th- make things better. Uh, this, sound, this sounds like uh, people warning the world about horrible things. So let's, let's, try, to fi- let's fi- try to fit the, uh, the uh, round peg into the square hole here. Well, so we have, looking at past disasters, Mm-hmm. We've, we've seen that very frequently uh, after the disaster, somebody says, you know, damn it, I told you guys this was going to happen. <clears throat> and, and, you know, that person sometimes uh, was a qualified expert. Sometimes that person was data driven. And we ask ourselves, you know, why did people not pay attention to that person? Uh, and what we did was we went back and we looked for occasions uh, just things that come to the top of your mind when you think of recent disasters, you know, um, Fukushima, um, the big branch mine collapse, uh, Hurricane Katrina, uh, the rise of ISIS, uh, the burning uh, Madoff Ponzi scheme, uh, things like that. And in each case, we went back and we did find that there was an expert uh, who was data driven and who absolutely nailed what was going to happen. And so we went through seven case studies and asked, what was it about the guy or the gal who was giving the warning? What was it about the person receiving the warning? What was it about the nature of the issue that made this warning be ignored? And we tried to deduce a little methodology from that, uh, which we are applying in seven more case studies later in the book uh, about things that people are now warning about and asking if these people who are given us warnings now are going to be Cassandra's, in other words, be right, uh, or if they're just 
crazy chicken little types. The the point here as regards to the future is if as we go into the future, there are all of these terrible warnings. They can't all be right. Uh, and I think at any point in the past, there have been people predicting awful things for the future. Uh, and sometimes, you know, a few of them do turn out to be right. And if you had paid attention, um, then you could have made the future better. So we think this methodology we have uh, can be useful uh, in taking a look at these warnings, because right now we're getting warnings on a lot of scary things. And the ones we look at in the book are things like artificial intelligence, pandemic disease, sea level rise, nuclear winter, uh, the Internet of Things, gene editing, uh, and even meteor strikes. Now, that's a pretty scary list. How do we know uh, where we should pay attention? How do we know where we should put resources uh, and policy changes uh, in order to adjust that future uh, if these people are right. Uh, and so that's the story. Seven past Cassandras, seven potential future Cassandras in an attempt to find a way of seeing who are these guys and gals who see things before other people do, see around the corner. Uh, one Israeli uh, psychiatrist described these people as having sentinel intelligence, sentinel. Yeah. He, he said, these are the people who, when they're sitting in a restaurant, uh, smell smoke first when there's a fire. But not only do they smell smoke, they have a sense of personal responsibility and agency. So these are the people who get up and pull the fire alarm. Uh, and he said, there really are people like this. They have high anxiety. They're highly functioning, but they have high anxiety. Uh, and they see risks before other people do. Does it, does it require, I, this is an interesting point, what, does it require high anxiety to be uh, a sentinel personality? What is, the, uh, what is the actual trait that you think that these folks have? It sounds like it sounds like from what you're saying that they're always worried about something, and that is why they're Cassandra, because they're ignored. Uh, if somebody's always saying the sky is falling, you're eventually going to ignore them. No, it's not just that they're highly uh, concerned about the future. Uh, it's that they ask questions that other people don't ask, uh, and then they go off and um, get the data. Um, in almost all these cases, they personally lead the effort to collect the data. And they're, in all cases that we talk to, uh, they're kind of disturbed by the data. And then they take the data to fellow experts and say, God, I hope I'm wrong. Here's the data. Show me where I'm wrong. And it was uncanny interviewing some of these people that they all used the same phrases, <laughs> uh, saying, you know, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I've asked people to show me where the data indicates I'm wrong. Uh, and I just don't understand why since nobody can tell me my data is wrong, uh, why people aren't as moved as I am. Uh, and, you know, over time, they get more and more uh, vociferous because they think, you know, they have some personal responsibility as an expert in their field. Okay. So without giving too much away, is there a specific example you could give us of a uh, one of the early Cassandras who who saw something happening before anybody else. Uh, you, you mentioned a lot of things. You mentioned ISIS. You mentioned um, uh, 
uh, Ponzi schemes, that sort of thing. But is there one that, that you find particularly well, we, interesting? We can talk about ISIS. Mm-hmm. Um, so about two years before ISIS uh, really burst onto the scene, uh, there was a U.S. ambassador, an ambassador to Syria, uh, named Robert Ford, uh, who was an expert in Arab affairs and spoke uh, fluent uh, Arabic. Uh, and he saw what was happening in Iraq and, and Syria, and he wrote a memo to the president saying, if we don't intervene now to shape events in Syria in a significant way, there will be a new terrorist group rise up, uh, and it will be different from Al-Qaeda. It will take control of cities. It will take control of territories. It will create a state, a nation, that will span the, uh, the border between Syria and Iraq. Absolutely what happened 18 months mm-hmm. later. Spot on. Uh, and, you know, an expert uh, in his field, not someone who woke up in, with a premonition, um, but someone who had gone out uh, into the field, interviewed people, talked to sources, uh, and did an analysis and came to this conclusion. Absolutely spot on. Now, this analysis was it going from was it going from town to town and and asking the question, then hearing exactly what you just said, or how how uh, how rich was the data that they were working with? Well, he was he was personally doing interviews. He was having his staff do interviews. He was looking at intelligence reports, uh, not just from the United States, but from other countries. Uh, he had a fair treasure trove of data, uh, data that other experts on the Arab world had as well. Uh, they just didn't draw the same conclusion. Um, there's also, for example, in, in, in the engineering field, the, the classic case of, you know, is Fukushima. Uh-huh. Uh, where there's a uh, an engineer, a civil engineer uh, in Japan, who when he hears that they're planning, uh, Tokyo Electric is planning to put nuclear power plants uh, up at Fukushima, uh, says, oh, that's a bad idea. And he starts writing papers and submitting them to, to Tokyo Electric and then to the people who have to approve the, uh, the nuclear installations and the government goes and testifies before public hearings and says, you know, that's an earthquake-prone area, and if there's an earthquake, it'll create a tsunami. And if there's a tsunami, you know, the waves will be high enough that they will wash out the nuclear power plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll get, uh, when, they lose it, when they lose connectivity for any period of time to a source of electric power, they'll melt down. Of course, that's exactly what happened. How do you um, how do you become listened to as a, as a Cassandra? The as as a journalist, I'll get every couple months I'll get somebody emailing me saying that the that uh, I don't know lizard men are controlling the world and that there's some sort of uh, what you call it some sort of uh, perpetual motion machine available and right. vaguely in the corner of all that weird stuff there's something very similar to this there's something similar that that a small terrorist group could could rise up in the middle east and create a nation that if the earthquake comes um if an earthquake comes it'll destroy a destroy a power plant how do you how do you figure out what is real and what is not how do you avoid the alex jones territory and stay yeah. well within the cassandra territory so we've got we've got a checklist uh, of of questions to ask uh the first and most obvious is, is this person a qualified expert? 
uh, was the the guy who was talking about the the risk in Fukushima? Was he a a civil engineer who had done site surveys before? Yes, he was. Uh, what was his track record? Had he often said, "Don't do this because some terrible thing would happen"? No, you know. So you go through the list. Is it, is it an expert? Do other people in the field consider that person to be an expert? Yes. Uh, are they data-driven? Uh, do they have an uh, empirical basis for saying what they're saying rather than a premonition? Uh, answer is yes, if they're, if they're a Cassandra. Um, have they got a track record of constantly being running around with their hair on fire saying the world is going to end? Uh, uh, answer, no. In the case of the Cassandra, no, they haven't. They haven't got a track record. Uh, we have one uh, fellow in the book who actually has a track record of having predicted something before and been right, and is now predicting something again. And that's Dr. Jim Hansen, who you'll remember was the, the NASA scientist who first said in the 1980s, uh, we're going to have very significant climate change because of the rise in CO2 in the atmosphere. And that was suppressed by the first Bush administration. Uh, and later, uh, when he tried to testify again before Congress, he was suppressed by the second Bush administration. Um, but in between those two were eight years of Bill Clinton and Al Gore. Uh, and Jim Hansen was able to get his uh, information out. And it affected uh, the administration's thinking. It affected the world's thinking. Lots of experts came on board. That uh, yes, we were having significant climate change. So, given where he was in the 1980s, the first one of the first people to say this, we considered him to have been a Cassandra back then. Now he's saying something new and something different. He's saying all of the climate change models are wrong about sea level rise. He's saying that the the UN model and the, the, the model used by the U.S. government all are predicting sea level rise that uh, is slower and lower than what he thinks will actually happen. And he, he thinks this based on computer models he's run uh, and created, open source, shows them to other experts and says, what's wrong with this? Uh, and the other experts say, well, we can't find anything wrong with it, but you're not really using the scientific method of uh, a repeatable experiment. Uh -huh. And he says, no, you know, I can't melt Greenland twice. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And if you wait, if you wait for the scientific uh, method to develop a methodology for prediction here, it'll be too late. Uh, he's predicting within this century, sea level rise between six and nine meters. That's extraordinary. Uh, that means, for example, in the United States that Florida disappears below Jacksonville. It means overseas that a large portion of China, uh, the populated portion of China, um, gets inundated. Uh, most of Bangladesh gets inundated, where currently there are 180 million people. It, it would have really disastrous effects on, um, on the global economy. It would mean mass migrations, huge disruptions. If he's right, uh, now, if he's right, then he says we have to change our policies on CO2 way beyond what the Paris Accord said. And clearly, people don't want to do that. So uh, you know, what we see over and over again here is 
when a Cassandra comes in with a prediction that's going to cost a lot of money, uh, going to change people's agendas, uh, going to make it uncomfortable for, for us for a while, people don't want to do it. And one of the reasons they don't want to do it is they can always come back to, well, what you're predicting has never happened before. Yeah, you know, you've got data, and yeah, you're an expert, but it would be really costly and inconvenient to do what you're asking. And, you know, what you're predicting has never happened before. Uh, that seems to be enough to make most decision makers say it's safe. Okay. Uh, so going back to the, pr- the the primary premise, do you feel do you feel better or worse about the world after having finished this book? Well, I feel better in the sense that uh, I I think there's a way if we if we can convince decision makers, I think there's a way uh, you could do the, a sort of structured uh, risk analysis uh, of all of these many claims in the world. Uh, and take a look at which ones really are priority uh, risks uh, and then ask what can we do to mitigate it so that we don't just sort of sit here like a punching bag being hit by one disaster after another. Okay. All right. So thank you very much for that, all this insight. This is a great uh, – the book is coming out on May 23rd. Is that right? May 23rd is the is publication date. That's right. And this is you and R.P. Eddy, one, a, uh, another cyber cybersecurity expert. Um, right. All right, perfect. So thank you very much, Richard, for joining us. This has been uh, this has been eye-opening, to say the least. Uh, this is one of my uh, this is some of my favorite topics. So this was fascinating stuff. All right, very good. All right, thanks a lot, Richard. Uh, this has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We'll see you next week.